Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone, a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I'm Dennis Hensley, and I love talking to different creative people. And uh, we have quite a guest today. He is a writer, a lecturer, and an adult film star. My first on the podcast, Connor Habib. Um, it's a little edgier than your average podcast, so if that's not your thing, you can set this one out. But uh, I think he was a terrific guest. Um, so interesting and bright and honest, and uh, I could have talked to him all day. So, uh, before we get to that, a uh, little bit of housekeeping. Um, thanks for everyone that visits DennisAnyone.net. There's some fun stuff there, and uh, you can donate to my virtual tip jar. It helps me pay for things like uh, web hosting space and microphones and things like that, and it helps me keep the podcast free, and I really appreciate it. Um, also want to get a plug-in for the Mismatch game if you're in L.A. We're doing it this Friday and Saturday, the 11th and 12th, uh, at 8 p.m. at the Remberg Theater. Totally different casts each night. It's going to be a ton of fun. Um, you can learn more about that at LALGBTCenter.org. So, without any further ado, here is Connor Habib. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the Larchmont neighborhood home of our guest today, Connor Habib. He is a lecturer, a writer, an adult film star. You're my first trifecta of those things. <laughs> I'm sure I've had other writers on. I don't think I've had other adult film stars on. But no on. writers that you've seen naked. No, none no. that I have. Yeah. And, uh, well, maybe, I don't know, I have to, I'll really have to think that through. <laughs> no, probably not. Um, but on your website it says you've won awards for all three of those things. It's true. I Which mean, one meant the most? Uh, they honestly, they all meant a lot to me. But I have to be totally honest and say the porn awards were like really dear to my heart at the time that I won them because I really just sort of started getting into it. And um, so the very first one I won, which was a Gavian Award, that that meant so much to me. <laughs> what was like, it for? Because they're very specific. Best newcomer. Okay. Um, but that's just one word, not two. Um, it's not, it's not spelled with a U. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I really just started that year and it was sort of, it, you know, the award show was on Showtime and like Alec Mappa hosted it. And like, it was just this big sort of like, it was the first thing that I'd ever really even been to like that. And it meant so much to me to win because I was just like, obsessed with porn stars like my whole li like basically my whole life and so to be now recognized as one meant a lot to me so you didn't know in advance you're gonna win right you're sitting there yes did you think you had a good chance no i thought i had no chance you thought did you think oh so and so's gonna win it or you just thought i'm not gonna win it i just thought i wasn't gonna win it i sort yeah. of was like arms crossed like pouty yeah. pigeon you you're know? you're yeah. already <laughs> making your um gracious loser face exactly exactly it and was not gracious but they call you. your name yeah is it a little out of body do you remember do you do, do you feel like you said what you wanted to say do you feel like you were in the moment yes i do i was very very i was so excited that i was like i mean you can't fake that kind of excitement so I was so well actually maybe I could but you can't exactly <laughs> but, but you can't fake that kind of excitement so I, I, I like, think I'm going to call this the name of this podcast is you can't, can't fake, fake that, that kind of excitement yeah. well I can I always pull a, a quote from the thing that's uh, um, so I, I was just like effulgent with like happiness and joy so it was really yeah like what I don't even know exactly what I said but it was coming from such a genuine place that yeah it didn't matter that's fun it was yeah. on Showtime yeah it's a big deal but like really like like it, it 
for some reason, they filmed it, they did the whole thing for Showtime, and then uh, it didn't come out until like a year and a half later, which is completely bizarre, and then it ended up being the last KVN ceremony. <laughs> so it was it, like... That was the end. You killed it. That was, <laughs> totally. I killed a few things like that. You did. Though. Yeah, not yeah. awards, but there's things where like, I'm like, I get them. Yeah, yeah. I worked on the Big Eight sketch show, it uh-huh. got canceled. Uh-huh. Like, I can, I can, yeah, I killed a few things. So. I know. <laughs> um, now, you also do a lot of writing, a lot of lecturing. You travel around the country. Um, I first met you because you're best friends with my friend Jeb Havens, yes. who's a recent podcast guest. And I remember coming over here to visit Jeb. I think he had an evening over, and I was looking around at all the books. Uh-huh. That's the first thing I remember is like, and most of them have to do with psychology, philosophy, human sexuality. Yeah. And I was like, the books. So tell me, talk to me about books. And then I was reading on your blog, you... Ch- you did a thing where you were going to read a book a day. Yes, I did do that for six weeks, and that was awesome, although exhausting. How many hours a day do you spend reading if you're going to read a book a day? Oh. Because oh. I've been reading the same book for two years. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm reading The Goldfish. I, it's I, this thick. I can't. Oh, I thought it was going to be Snooky's novel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, um, I, yeah, I, if, if I read a book a day, probably, I mean, that would take anywhere from, like, six to nine hours, maybe. It was wow. like a, it was a big, So it was, yeah. It was a big project, um, but I just decided, it was something I wanted to do my whole life, so I did it, and actually, it was a really mind-blowing experience, because you're not just getting, like, one thinker, you're getting, like, tons of different thinkers, like, every single day, and when all those thoughts and different styles and different voices start blending together in your head, you start having new thoughts, and you start having completely just off the wall um, sort of gestures in your thinking. It's really cool. Well, you're very into thinkers and writers and you've I've read essays that you wrote on Susan Sontag and uh-huh. people like that. Have you always been into philosophy? Have you always thought sort of deeply about things and questioned things? Has that always been part of your personality? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I don't know... I, I mean, I guess my mom had some influence on that, but I don't even really know where that came from. I mean, my mom was a big reader, but I found a a, a diary because my mom died when I was twenty four, and I so I read her diaries. I don't want you thinking I just read them while she was right. alive. No, <laughs> I waited till she died. The moment she died, I was like, now I can read those diaries. Yes, get where they are. Uh, <laughs> so, but I, in it, like after I was born, like a year later, um, it said uh, I've never seen a baby who loved books so much, which is like. Kind of the thing you like really want to like find out. I know diary. that's like, so cool. Yeah. And you were like one. Yeah, and um, and so I started reading really early. I c- I could read before I was in kindergarten, so I must have been like four, five, maybe. Wow. And um, I just I don't know where I don't know where that comes from, where that interest comes from. Um, maybe it's like karmic or something. I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so it just con- it just continued, and I was raised a religiously as well. I wasn't raised in any religion, and I became like very deeply interested in religion. And philosophy and all that kind of stuff just sort of on my own so where did you go to school um Catasauqua High School in Pennsylvania nice yeah and did you go to no it's not nice (laughs) what was your mascot oh my god I was just gonna tell you that it was a cowboy on a horse and they were called the Rough Riders the Rough Riders (laughs) yeah there you go or the Ruffies it was our (laughs) R-U-F-F or R-O-U-G-H R-O-U-G-H-I-E-S yeah yeah so that so um my uh tendency for having like rough uh intense sex can definitely date back to my high you know what? That, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Did you go to university or college? Yeah. So I went to um, IUP, which is near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, for two years and studied religion. And then I transferred to University of Massachusetts, 
where I went for undergrad and grad school for, um, I got my MFA in creative writing and, uh, I also went to school for organismic and evolutionary biology. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at, I had to look at the word orgasm, gor, that's, that organismic. Word. I Organzola. had to work at it like four times <laughs> on your bio. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. So you, cause you, it looks like orgasmic. So everybody I kept going, that. yeah, that yeah. seems like it should be orgasmic. But something's <laughs> wrong. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Uh, story of my life. But anyway, <laughs> so you were you were in San Francisco before you moved here. Yeah. Yeah. And is that where you got into the uh, adult film business when you were in San Francisco? Yes. Um, I had always wanted to be in porn. I mean, since I was a, since I was a kid um, and had sort of seen porn and knew what porn was. But when I – so I left my – I was teaching at University of Massachusetts in Western New England College. I was teaching English. <clears throat> and I moved to San Francisco consciously thinking, like, I'm going to be a gay porn star – Finally, and I did a commercial for uh, Steamworks, which is like a chain of bathhouses. Right. I don't even know how they found me. I forget how that even came about. But I did a commercial for. I auditioned for them. I did a commercial, and then the production crew, um, they came up to me afterward, and they were like, "Hey, have you ever thought about doing porn?" And I was like, "Have I ever not thought about doing porn?" <laughs> so then, so then they um, they owned a porn studio, and so that was how it started. So and this was sort of right before everyone started. There's so many amateur porn things. In other yes. words, doing something on the web yourself wasn't quite the way people were doing it then. No, it was still a lot. Of, it, it, that's really interesting. Nobody's ever talked to me about that before, and I wish... Because <laughs> if I'm you got, were so... If you were, if you were really into the idea of doing it, at this point, people are doing it themselves. They're, yes, yeah. exactly. And you couldn't really do that then. I mean, there was no X-Tube. So this is 2000 and late 2007 into early 2008 so dvds are still the standard right um things are slowly showing up online people don't really even use facebook that much there's no twitter it's like it's very like and then and then i was in it when that all crossed over as right well. and, and you've so seen like, it change yeah yeah um there was an article recently in frontiers and it was like 10 things you always wanted to ask porn stars and uh-huh. most of them were sort of things people had talked about before i want to know what the business model's like now. Is uh, there any money in it now for the actors? How does uh, it work? <laughs> there should be. There's not. I mean, the, the, unfortunately, studios have done very, very little to innovate um, their model. Um, and part of that is because it's so insular. It's like they don't think to ask anybody who's not in industry to help. But then also there's stigma for people who aren't in industry to go in industry right. and like, tell them, like, you know, it'd be really great if porn studios hired someone from Apple, you know, who had worked for Apple or YouTube or something like that to come help them redesign their interface. But nobody's really doing anything like that. And that would really do so much for porn studios. But right now, yeah, there's not really – it's just the same old business model as the 90s, and that's why these companies are really losing money. They and what about the – and the performers are probably <clears> – <throat> they feel probably – Yeah, they're losing Their money. salaries went probably way down. Yeah, salaries is a funny word. Um, but they – yeah. yeah also, be, you get paid – <laughs> Scene, right? You get paid per scene, and you don't get any royalties, um, which is why when people like make fun of porn stars for having like Amazon wish lists and stuff, I'm like, just, look, you watch the product for free, no doubt, and they only got paid for it once. Like, right? It's, it's buy okay. them a fucking CD, exactly. Buy them the fucking I, Hamilton. I love this CD. Like now, our yeah. Amazon wish lists are in that old model. Today. I know. Exactly. Buy them a cassette. Buy yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you've done a lot of writing. Single. Oh, singles. <laughs> I bought the cassette ca- single to Africa by Toto. Uh, mine, my first one, I think, was uh, Aisha by Another Bad Creation. So was the first ca- single. The first ca- single I ever. There was bought. a very small window for ca- singles, and they were. It was they didn't really... even have a plastic thing. They were just like yes, exactly, exactly, yeah. 
Now, when did you did you start <laughs> writing and talking about sexuality after you'd become uh, an adult film star, or was that happening before? What was the evolution of that mix of? Yeah, things? I mean, it, that's an interesting sort of. I, let me put it this way. Like, when I told my sister that I was in porn, she said, huh, that's, like, the exact right job for you. Because anybody who knows me well, like, knew I always had sort of a pornographic personality. So, um, so was I talking about it in any sort of professional way? No. But were these things always on my mind? Was I always interested in sort of pushing um, myself and um, maybe confronting other people's attitudes, yes. But, like, doing it professionally... So you, were, you were always sort of challenging people's ideas about sexuality yeah. and shame and what they're afraid to talk about and what's okay to talk about. Yes. You were always sort of pushing it in that way. Well, I mean, as, as much as I could. I mean, I, like anybody, had sort of absorbed all the shame and bullshit that, you know, everybody else gets. Um, so I had to undo a lot of that. But for some reason... Um, I don't know if it was easier for me to undo or if, or if I just had really great sort of mentors or people who were inspiring me or whatever, or how, how it played out. Um, but I had always thought like when I would watch porn and people said it was bad, I was always like, but why? Like why, why right. would anybody think that this is bad? This is actually like the greatest thing ever. Like, right. why, why would anybody? Boy, for a bad thing, I sure really do enjoy yeah. it a lot. <laughs> Several times. Exactly. And so, and so when, when I, you know, I always used to think, oh, I'm missing something like uh, that. And, and finally someone just sat me down. They're like, no, no, you're not missing something. You have something. Like, yeah. You're missing the shame chip. Yeah. You have, but you have a chip that allows you to like get, and that was like really big for me. And just sort of then getting into a lot of thinkers who were, you know, outside of that, outside of that shame or, or, or attacking it or taking it apart. And once you got a profile as an adult film star, you could, your lectures and your things like that, that you kind of went together and it yeah. raised the visibility and people want to go see you. You have a bit more of a platform. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, oh, wow, this guy's got an interesting story. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's a good, um, thing to keep in mind because we all think that if you do porn it's going to close doors for you but actually if you do it and you own it and you really are thoughtful about it then it opens up a lot of doors for you well you're the best example of that thanks um (laughs) when you first did it what was different about it than you thought it would be Hmm. um nothing I honestly nothing like that sounds weird but there really wasn't because when I knew I was going to do it I started jerking off thinking about people standing around me with the lights and cameras. Right. So I could start sort of in my fantasies, <clears throat> habituating myself to that kind of environment. Right. And um, that helped. But it also, like, I, I guess maybe the only thing that was, like, surprising to me was, like, just how natural it felt. You know, it was just like, oh, yeah, right, this is, like, what I've wanted to do. This is it. And did anything surprise you about the people? The people that you worked with? What mm. they were like? What they were... What their hobbies were, what they were about, <laughs> what people talked about. Um, no, I, the, the performers were pretty much what I expected them to be. Um, which, uh, but but I guess I guess on the studio people, I I thought and I continue to think like, why aren't you more daring? Why don't you care about what you're doing more? Why don't Why don't you as producers of this form of art like care about like doing something interesting or exciting or you know, it was, it was very, it was less, um, imaginative than I thought it was going to be in that realm, which sounds sort of weird. Of course, I know people think that porn is just sort of a creative dead end, but for me, like 
it, you know, it had, it had so much potential. And especially if you look at like seventies porn and yes. porn, it's like really, really like crazy, you know? Right. Like sometimes they would do things that just kind of got in your head that weren't necessarily showing more or whatever, but right. they were creating a context like, um, those, is it Joe Gage or oh, Cage? Yeah. Joe Gage. G- Gage. Yeah. The, the, all the truck driver ones or yeah. whatever. Like, just texted me today, actually. There you go. He just texted you? <laughs> well, they, they texted me. To, they asked me to be in a movie um, next month, but I can't because I'm getting some uh, dental surgery stuff done. Oh, so wow. I yeah. I know. I know. It's a bummer. But I've done but I've done probably like five movies for him. But he's a really great example of someone who continues to be creative and continues to do amazing things. Him and Shishi. And now there's a new studio called, a newer studio called Cocky Boys, which is doing some sort of great stuff in gay porn. But a lot of it is just sort of the standard boring you know, but like you're talking about these, the Joe Gage, there's a guy named Wakefield pool who made, Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Boys in the sand. Boys in the sand. And, um, Bijou is the best one, I think, which is just a bizarro movie. It starts it's out the one at the theater, right? Yes. It starts with yes. a woman. This is, this is how a gay porn starts. <clears throat> a woman is crossing the street and gets hit by a car and like some stud guy like runs up and instead of helping her takes her purse with all the things in it and takes them home and like takes them out one by one masturbates to them. <laughs> like he like unscrews the lipstick and like licks the tip of the lipstick with his tongue while he's jerking off and like right. and then he's jerking off in the shower and starts imagining her getting hit by the car. It's completely bonkers and it's brilliant. This is so amazing. This is before anyone even goes to the theater, the bijou. Yes, yes. Right. Totally. Wow. That's before they get there, and then that is like an Iron Butterfly video. It's really bizarre. That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> now, have you you've done? When was the last one you did? Because you, you took a break, and then you. I'm still. I'm still. I'm still on break. I mean, look at me. Like I, you guys can't see me, but I'm like. I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little pudgy right now, but in a in a way, I feel happy about. In it. In a way like, that's adorable and that, enchanting. That, yeah. <laughs> en- enchanting. Enchanting. I look like a gummy bear. <clears throat> um, but uh, I. Uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I, I did one last year. I plan to do more, but it's just I've been so busy and excited about writing and all that kind of stuff that I and, and teaching writing and um, working on bigger projects that I haven't. I just haven't had the time or the motivation to like keep my body in the shape that it. You know, um, I would feel comfortable doing the kinds of porn I did before. Let's talk about body image. Okay. Cause do people? You know, you said that, that you're a little heavier than you'd want to be to do it. Do people comment on that? People can be kind of critical about that. Yeah. Does it bother you? Do you care? No one's more critical about it than myself, you know? Like, I'm constantly, like, looking in the mirror and like, oh, like, just squeezing my... You know, and and I confront that and I'm just like, let it go. It's cool. Because I actually, right now, the body I have is kind of body I'm most attracted to in other people. Right. But I'm learning how to be comfortable in it, you know? And, um, That's really interesting. Like, you say to yourself, this is what I like, but nobody else can possibly like it. Yeah, you know? it's, it's completely But out there, weird. it's unacceptable. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, isn't that weird how we... How we we do stuff like that. And I think it's, you know, I mean, I was really trained for like, you know, the eight years of like doing porn that, um, my body was desirable because it looked a certain way, you know? Right. And, um, I'm still, I'm, I'm doing some of that stuff right now, but it's not bad. It's it's not a horrible pressure or anything like that. I feel generally okay. Right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Now when you go and lecture, where's the most kind of out there place that you've gone to lecture? Oh, um, I gave a lecture at this place in San Francisco called Rudolf Steiner Social Finance. Um, so <clears throat> Rudolf Steiner is this philosopher, mystic, scientist, architect, 
basically he's this Leonardo da Vinci figure and um from the late 19th early 20th century and there's this whole uh economics movement like uh founded in in his name they do a lot of like microfinancing and stuff and i was hired by them to give a lecture about him to their staff because i am sort of a scholar when it comes to his work so that was not porn related at all i didn't talk about porn at all it was just about rudolf steiner but it was very strange sort of being just in that audience and you know, holding that, I would say that was a little, a little weird for me. And you've, you've also gone to colleges. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's most, most of my talks are at colleges. What, how are young people today different about their ideas about sex than say we would have been? I'm a little, I'm older than you, but you know what Uh I mean? How are they sort of different than, than your generation or mine? Yeah. Um, they know more than we do. So like we're in, in a lot of ways we're catching up to them. So when people are like, what do we tell our kids about sex? How do we talk to our kids about sex? I'm like, ask them. Like, you don't have, you probably don't have much to offer. You know, like probably no, just in terms of, yeah. Availability, cultural conversation. I mean, even if you're not, um, even if you're not talking to them about sex or they're not watching porn online, like everybody around them is having that conversation. So they know a lot about it. Um, they're just smarter about it in a lot of ways. They're more open. There's a lot more openness about different kinds of sexualities and that sort of stuff. They seem less hung up on gay, bisexual. Yeah. They seem less... It's kind of annoying. Yeah. (laughs) But it's annoying that they're less hung up on it. Well, I mean, it's annoying to us who, like, had to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but ultimately, like, thank goodness, and I'm so happy for them. But I know there's, there's this accompanying feeling sometimes where you're just like, fuck you, like, this shouldn't be so easy for you. This was hard for us. Right. But there's also, I think, something that we have gained in, like, being, engaging in a struggle that we, we gained that they're going to have to gain in a different way in a different arena somehow right yeah that sort of makes sense yeah now you've written some great stuff online uh you wrote an article about uh illness uh-huh. and and your mother and yeah uh, and tell, tell me a little about that because it's sort of a departure from your normal yeah subject matter well that was actually a big moment for me too because i had four porn <clears throat> scenes scheduled and four porn scenes yes this is leading up to like writing that article and four porn scenes scheduled and I had been wanting to write this longer essay for a long time which was very emotionally intense for me to write and um, it was sort of I was at a crossroads at that point where it's like I can fly out and like go and do this porn scene and really spend like the next month and a half like just getting my body to a certain place to do this or I can take that time and just write this essay that I've been wanting to write for years. And wow. that was this moment where I was like, I'm just going to write this essay. Right. And, um, so that was a, that was a big moment for me. And this essay is about different cancer diagnoses. So my mother who died of bone cancer, Susan Sontag, who died as, uh, basically a, a, a blood cancer. And, um, and I was diagnosed with lymphoma. Um, and so how, how different approaches to sort of treating cancer and how you think about it, um, but treatment in general in culture, not just of cancer, um, how, what that tells us about our culture, what that tells us about ourselves. Yeah. Um, and we all handle it in different ways. Um, and sort of the end of it is like, well, I'm still alive and the other two people are dead, but I don't know that I did the right thing. We all sort of did the best we can. You right. Know? Yeah. And you, but you were, were you ever officially diagnosed or was it somebody sort of saying, Hey, you need to have this checked out. It looks like lymphoma. It, it was, it was in between the two. Right? right. So it was not, um, it wasn't 
a strict diagnosis, someone sitting down and saying you have lymphoma. It was, however, not someone being like, get this checked out. It was a doctor saying to me repeatedly, like, we think you have lymphoma. We think right. you have lymphoma. We think you have lymphoma. And then the nurse repeating that, like, you know, and, and it was, so it's sort of this sort of in-between state. And, um, the reason why it never turned into an official diagnosis is because I did not go back. <laughs> you didn't go was, back. Yeah. That so was, that was nine years ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just walked away. You just walked away. Yeah. And it never came... Yeah. 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 It never... I mean, every once in a while, I would still get, like, a little scared about it. But, um, you know, I did all... I, 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 I kept it with me and tried to sort of understand it a different way. But I, I thought and I feel sometimes we... When we go looking for illness, we find it because we make it, you know? Um, and in this case... I do believe there's a very powerful mind-body... There's a mind-body thing, and then maybe there's just a more practical concern in my case, which was like... I mean, that's practical too, but like a really just sort of on-the-ground explanation, which was the procedure for looking for lymphoma is, is was completely carcinogenic procedure that they had warned me against doing right before they told me I had it. <laughs> so it was like this yeah. sort of thing, like, come in and we're going to keep looking for it until we make it, you know? And I was like, I'm not going to keep <clears throat> getting my body irradiated to find this. Literally, you know, just an hour or two hours after they told me not to undergo a procedure that they would have to undergo like they would have to institute to look for the lymphoma more than twice a month right you know so that to me was crazy you know i get it and yeah. then you also wrote another article about why people don't like porn stars uh-huh <laughs> it had a really provocative title what i want to know is why you hate porn stars yeah i love what what what, what i want to know it's like mm. yeah <laughs> well i was trying to figure it out because <clears throat> that came out of having a boyfriend um who was constantly at odds with me in porn, um, who said at first, no, I don't have any problem with it, and then increasingly uh, kept bringing up his issues with it, and then also sort of juxtaposing that to everybody, you know, rather than placing the blame squarely on him, saying this is actually something that a lot of people struggle with, why, who's responsible, what's the problem, um, where, where is the stigma and bullshit coming from? And what did you learn about the reactions to that article? Did anything surprise you? Because I remember reading it and, like, looking at comments. And for every – there was a a big variety of comments. And some people were pretty worked up. People got really worked up. Um, Most people got worked up because I used the word hate. And they didn't like (laughs) – they hated that I used that word. Um, And because they were like, we don't hate you. We just have, like – and what I was trying to break down in that article is that there's no – if 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 you have a deeply held opinion that affects people's lives and ultimately affects policy and culture that has no ideological or conceptual substance but it's just based on emotion then that's hate <laughs> like that that's that's the substance of like hate you know um when you know hate is really just like trying to destroy difference um in, in, instead of instead of in, uh, trying to understand it um and so that's what that was about and i I got people coming up to me in person, and uh, this guy at the gym following me around the locker room, like, yelling at me, Um, like, Gold's Gym, and, like, it it was crazy, like, there were um, other in-person instances like that, and when people were, it it was, like, a really big article, um, for me, at least, I don't know, in in terms of... (laughs) 
of, of professional journalists, but for me, it became like probably my most read thing. And so I did a lot of interviews on radio shows and stuff. And the, the questions people asked were really angry a lot of times, you know, and, and they were probably all people that watched and enjoyed porn all the time. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you simply say what I want to know is why you hate yourself, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's where it ends up landing was sort of reflecting back to my ex-boyfriend who I'm still in touch with. He's a great guy, you know, like I really do care about him, but it was just like, maybe you just have trouble being loved. Like, you know, like maybe it's not anything more than that. Um, right. Yeah. It's interesting. When, do you remember the first time you saw pornography? Yeah. The yes. first dirty magazine or the first movie? I was seven years old and okay. I remember the exact moment. I was seven years old and I was on the couch. My parents had just divorced and I was on the couch with my father, my, the woman who had become my stepmother and my sister. And, um, my dad had gotten this big screen TV and, um, he got a cable cheater box. You remember those? Yeah. Yes. You'd I mean, not a cheater box. I just remember when yeah. everyone started, I remember watching like the Spice the Channel through the squiggle. Yes, exactly. And every once in a while, it would kind of be yeah. You would see like clear. an areola through the yeah yeah yeah. yeah. The bends. And so um, we had a cable cheater box, and you could like flip a switch that would turn the cable channels on or off. So um, my dad, we had a remote control. It was like the first remote control we ever had. Right. And he was flipping through the channels because you could really only go up or down. We could probably do other stuff with it, but I don't think we understood. It was a complicated you know, situation because there's a new TV and new cheater box. And he was going up and he went past channel 27, which was um, the porn channel. Right? right. Not just the Spice, not just Playboy. Playboy was 28. It was hardcore porn all day on channel 27. And at that moment, as he was flipping over it, he was just going to boop, boop, past it. Um, the battery in the remote control died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, talk about destiny. Totally. So how long was it up there for? Just a few seconds. Okay. But I, but I, it's like this, there's a biblical, it's like John chapter five, verse one through four, where it's like this angel, the hands of an angel troubled the waters of the pool of Bethesda. And I always think about like it, rendering it curative. And I always think about the hand of the angel reaching down and troubling the battery of the remote control, rendering it curative, rendering the porn curative for me. Cause it did have this profound moment because th this huge dick and this huge pussy and they're just slamming into each other and uh, my sister screamed and covered my eyes and my dad ran up to like manually turn the TV off, but it was like too late. And like, what more could you do than like have this giant display there and have someone screaming, saying, don't look, trying to cover your face to make you like forever enthralled. And that is, by the way, I think the entire tension around porn in our culture is that. It's like, it's everywhere, it's everywhere, don't look at it, it's everywhere, you know? That's an amazing story. <laughs> um, do you remember the first time you bought any, or or, or, uh, uh, or the first movies that you liked, or whatever? Yes, I, um, so I would then tape over my stepmom's VHS tapes, like, at night, like, I would wake up, like, or I would stay up and go down late at night when everybody else was asleep and like VHS, she like would tape episodes of, uh, all my children right. and I would tape over them cause I'm a monster and I would tape porn over them and like steal the tape and like watch it later. And, and you would uh, tape it off that channel. Yes, exactly. Oh, I see. I would I tape you. it off the channel, channel okay. 27. Right. And my favorite one was called Debbie goes to college, which I, uh, which I wrote an essay about, which was on nerve called, um, my first, 
gay straight porn because it was like all about these like all it was all about college kids essentially like fucking and like that was my dream of college you know it was right like, wow everybody's fucking which is true but um it was it was just so erotic to me yeah yeah i love that yeah and i used porn, to my yeah. brothers used to have dirty magazines and they would have them in the den like their back room and i would put them in my socks and like the things that we used to do to try to get at porn. Yeah. And I still remember turns of phrase from certain stories. Like what? Um, there's one story. It was, I think it was in penthouse forum. <laughs> and I think this dude ended up banging his sister or his stepsister. Uh-huh. And I remember her huge breasts fell to freedom. <laughs> They fell to freedom. Come on, Connor. They fell to freedom. Okay, so I remember one where it was like two women having sex, and there was just captions. This was in a magazine, too. You know, like the the girl-girl sex that we just, like, flip past when you're gay, you know? You don't care. You don't, you don't really know why. But you exactly. always love the, the straight magazines where they had a guy in there, too. Uh, like, yeah. Club International totally. did that. Or, yeah, like, yeah. two guys and one girl. Still insanely erotic to me. But, but... This one was, like, two women having sex, and there were, like, captions under the photos, and there's one woman licking another woman's tit, and it said, Marcy mouths a ma'am, like a mammary gland. Right. <laughs> like, I'll never forget that phrase. I know, and there was one where a lot of times the juiciest stuff was in the back with yes. the mail order stuff with the stars totally. over it. Yes. And there was one thing you could order, and it had... Um, there was a lot of alliteration. Oh, it was fucking for fun, <laughs> sucking for sweetness, and orgying for orgasm. Oh. I was like, you know what? I think I want to be a writer when I grow yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> now, see, you're somebody who, a very smart writer, very deep thinker. Did you ever want to be on the more creative side of porn? Did you ever want to write stories for it or direct them? Because yeah. it seems like you... you um, you get what turns people on and you're interested in ideas and not just the obvious. Yeah. Um, I have, I have been, um, I did write one scene and I directed one scene. Um, but the problem is finding people to collaborate with in the right way for porn because collaboration is very particular when it comes to porn and sort of getting, so like I wrote this scene, but the performers, I really love them, but they were just not up to, like, reciting the lines. Well, right. I just, like, could not remember them for the life of, you know, for his life. And he he's very sexy and he's very sweet, but it was just, like, a mess, you know? <laughs> and so they were, the lines just fell dead, you know? Right. So it was like, oh, this yeah. is not and, what I had in mind. Yeah. And, and so I actually have been recently, like, I really would love to do something with Joe Gage, actually. Like, that would be the perfect sort of collaboration, because we basically have the same mind when it comes to, like, what turns people on and all that. The trick is, with porn, this is what people try to do, which I hate, which is a sort of John Cameron Mitchell short bussy thing, where it's like, I'm just going to put sex in a real movie, right? Which, to me, is such a tactical error, because... um if you have something that's supposed to evoke reality, which is what, like, fictional narrative movies do, and then you have something that's really, um, instead, like, imitating and conjuring up a... F- imitating sex and conjuring up a feeling in the viewer, it's always going to be a total mismatch. If They're you at odds. Their goals are at odds, it, aren't they? Yes, it just does not... It does not work that way, because... And this is the this is the real, like... I'm an asshole line, but I believe it's true. Porn is actually a higher form of art than than regular film because it's 
completely interactive. It demands something of the viewer. That doesn't mean that most porn makers live up to that. Almost none right. of them do. Right. Most of it's you. horrible art. I mean, right. I'm not, I'll, I'll say, like, probably there are way more bad porn scenes than there are bad movies, right? So I'm not, I'm just saying the potential to be something, like, really intensely, like, high, interactive, profound, all that, like, and eliciting, like, I mean, you think about it, when you watch porn, after, like, seven minutes, you produce mm-hmm. half, yeah, you, like, produce half the substance that makes life. Like, most movies can't do that. Exactly. <laughs> so, so it, it has a really profound effect on the viewer. But the, um, but I think that, like, I, so, so it's a matter of finding the right people to work with who will give you freedom, but it's also a matter of not trying to make it not porn. And that's what everybody does. They're like, I want to make porn that's like just as good as real movie. But you really have to understand like what porn is and try to make really good pornography, yeah. which is something totally different. And so finding the right partner for that is, is, is kind of difficult. But I, I have something in my mind yeah. that I'd like to do. I love that. I hope you get to do it. Me too. <laughs> I support it. Now, you talked about the like the 70s porns. Like I they were amazing. Yeah. And who were the guys from that era that you wish you could make a scene with today? Oh my gosh. Well, like I- your Dick Fisks. Your Casey Donovans. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really know the ones from the seventies that or the eighties. Mine is like late eighties, early nineties, like that time yeah. period. So there's Paul Carrigan. Um, there's Zach Spears, who I see all the time around now. Um, there's uh, Paul Morgan. I'm trying to think of other people, but th- there, there's this sort of like this moment of. Like, really just jerking off to porn and watching those guys again and again. And then there's the moment sort of maybe five, seven years right before I got into porn. Right. And those guys were really influential. There's this guy, Blake Harper, um, who, if you've ever seen that, it's not the greatest movie, but there's this movie about Colton Ford, the porn star who was a musician. It's like a documentary about Right. Him. I remember that. Yeah. So Blake Harper's his boyfriend, and he's a really great performer. And then um, there, there are all these guys from that era that um, Blake Nolan and Eric Evans and these guys that like really, really were so hot to me because they were great performers, you know? Right. Yeah. And it was also the era when you first discovered porn and like, yeah. Well, it was right after that. It was right. like, it was right after, it was like after I discovered porn, but like then became sort of comfortable. It was it was long after I discovered porn because I discovered porn as a kid. But it was after I discovered gay porn, and then um, when I started feeling comfortable with my sexuality and really appreciating that there were these guys doing this for right. a living, you know, and they became familiar faces to me. What was it like after you started making films and being out at a club or whatever, and sort of getting that celebrity feeling, or, or the way people <laughs> would look at you, or people recognize you, or oh, I think they, you know, did it did it make you feel? Confident? Did it make you feel kind of hot shit? Yeah, for a while, it for a while it really did a number on me. Um, like I became really, really, really locked in my head. Like I, um, like I remember there was one moment, and this was like maybe three years in, where I saw like a, a flyer like hanging on a telephone pole in San Francisco. And I saw myself on the flyer, and I didn't see my name. And I was like, they didn't fucking credit me. And I was like, getting so angry. And then I looked again, and it wasn't even me. And and I was wow. like, I was like, okay, it is time to fucking do a reality check here because you're turning into an asshole. You're going to be like a total asshole. And I still am. Like I still, 
luckily now I don't have a real gauge of mm, how many people know who I am or what I do because I live in LA where I really am not like famous comparatively to anybody that lives here. So in San Francisco, it was much, it was like I hit the ceiling, you know, like everybody's sort of a winner in San Francisco, you know, like if you're famous, you're like Sister Roma, who's awesome, right? But that's not like you live in LA and it's like, if you're famous, you're like Rihanna, you know, and it's, right. it's very, I don't know if she lives in LA or not, but it's very different, you know? And so, so I had to undo some of that because I would have become a jerk. I probably was a jerk. I probably still am a little bit of a jerk. But it, it started to fall away. And now when it happens, it's just a, it's just nice. It's just nice. It just yeah. feels very pleasant. I feel very grateful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you, you know, we talked about our mutual friend Jeb. And he's been your best friend for years. Yeah. But what was it like for the people around you when, when that sort of oh. happened? Was it, was it, did anything change? Or was there an adjustment? Or is that a question for them? Yeah. I mean... I think <laughs> is that a question for them? It is a question for them, but let me see. If, let me see what I can do. I mean, I'd like to hear what they have to say. Meaning, that's what I mean by that. I think. Um, I think for me, the 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 things that they went through. I mean, it was weird for some of them because they all got to see me like naked and having sex, you know. Um, which Jeb had had sex with me because we were boyfriends for five years, but. Right. Um, but for a lot of them, I mean, even, like, my friends were like, you showed up in my spam email. You know, like, that right. kind of you stuff. you pop up. And that was, a, <laughs> so to speak. And so that was a little weird for them. Um, not weird for me, because I just didn't, I didn't care. Um, so, some, somewhat, somehow funny for me, a little right. bit. But something I noticed a lot is people, you, you probably know this from doing comedy and, and improv and stuff, um, and something my friend Drew Drogi and I talk about a lot, which is, like, people, they all think that they can do it. Like, they all, like, like the, because people crack jokes all the time, they think that they're just as funny as comedians. Or because people have sex, they think that they have that same skill set as porn stars. Or, or because people have written poems, they think that they're poets, you know. And it's actually a very specific skill set. So that was something that I would encounter a lot was like, oh yeah, so what? Like, I like sex too, you know? There right. was this sort of like, um, dominance thing. And that was, that, that was always sort of weird to encounter. But also I wanted to like, not be a dick about it and be like, well, maybe, maybe you could be, you know, but right. like, but you're not doing it. Why are you not doing it? If like, that's how you feel. Um, yeah, I feel like I sound like a dick saying that, but it, it is just like something that I think a lot of porn performers encounter a lot is people thinking that it's not a lot of work effort and it's not a skill set, but it is. Right. Yeah. No, I think it absolutely is, especially for the the length of time that yeah it takes to do a. How long does it take to do an average scene? Mm, for for like two hours is the absolute bare minimum. I I haven't done many scenes for two hours. Four hours is sort of average. You can get up to 12 or 16, which is, like, crazy. Right. Um, and in my mind, actually exploitative when directors want that from you. I've never done a scene that was more than eight hours, but eight hours is a really long time. So, like, when people say, like, just casually, yeah, like, I fuck like a porn star, I'm like, you fuck for eight hours with, like, four people standing around you shining a light on your balls and, like, you know, like, with yeah. someone that you're not attracted to, go for it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you God know? bless you. Yeah. <laughs> End of the day, long shoot. What do you feel like when you go home? Are you ex- are you exhausted like you've ran a marathon? It's extremely exhausting. It's a very exhausting. But it but it also feels good. It feels accomplished. 
Um, I always called, like, the meal after the scene the second cum shot. Because, <laughs> like, you, like, eat just Because you probably carbs. haven't been eating. Mm-hmm. You don't really eat that day, especially with the bottom. Like, you yeah. get there early. And, like, you just eat, like, a ton of carbs and, like, put all that sugar and, like, energy back in your body. It just feels really good. Well, I'm going to do that part of it. <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to do the shoot. So, see, you no. are. See, you see, I did that. Are a I'm going to eat like a porn You're star. You're a post-production <clears throat> I'm a post. I'm just the post-production part. <laughs> Where's the weirdest place you've ever been recognized? Where somebody was great? Hey, oh. aren't you? Oh my gosh. Uh, good question. Um, uh, I get, um, I'm trying to think of recent ones. Like a, re- a recent one was at the grocery store. Was at, at Erwan. This guy that was working. That's the, So yeah. Erwan, yeah. If you, it's if, like uh, vegan-y and healthy. Yeah, it's, and, like yeah. If it, it's like Whole Foods, but like snobbier and more expensive, basically. Right. But it's, it's, it's a good store. Right. But like uh, this guy that worked there in the juice bar, he was like, um, he's like, hi. And I was like, hi. He goes, you're an actor, aren't you? And I was like, sort of. And he was like, oh, mm-hmm, you're an actor. And then he like got me my green juice. You know? There you like, go. Maybe like, an extra a, scoop of yeah. whey or something. <laughs> right, right. But that, that's not that weird. That's not right. that weird. I wish I could think of a weirder place. But be, when Airports? That happens for sure. And airplanes and all that. But I think when you're a gay porn star, it's a little different because you're um, partially what I... I call it sub you know, you're a sub-leverty. Right. It's like, in, when you're hanging out with straight people, you're, like, invisible. Like, you might right. as well not have accomplished anything, you know? But then when you're in gay neighborhoods, people really recognize you. Right. So, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Totally makes sense. What, you know, I want to get your take on prep and mm-hmm. um, the, the time that we're in now in terms of gay men and sex. Because, I mean, the idea... That, that that there's not anxiety attached to sex is something that I my generation or I I can't even yeah. imagine like oh sex is wonderful beautiful like carefree there's not a carefreeness that I yeah. can get to in my head around sex and that's part of my own stuff or whatever but um, I'm interested to hear what your take is on this on this time that we're living in yeah well there's not a carefreeness now so don't feel I mean well not, or not we, even I, I don't think there ever will be is my point you right know? well. I mean, there's there's a delusion that somehow HIV is the only thing that's stopping people from enjoying or just loving sex. And, like, um, the sort of Truvada cultural warrior stance is, like, played into this. It's a total myth that somehow if you're not afraid of HIV, you're sexually liberated, which is just completely untrue. <laughs> people have all sorts of issues. And if you think that HIV is your main issue, stopping you from feeling sexually liberated, then you have a lot of sexual issues you need to work on <laughs> because there's a lot going on there. And any any fear you had of HIV, you could have alleviated by being safe, science-forward, and rational in other ways. You know, You could have defeated that stigma on your own through inner work, but taking a pill to do it, just like taking a pill to solve any problem, not going to solve an inner psychological issue, just not going to work. It might alleviate symptoms, you know, but it's not going to, it's not going to do the work for you, you know? And so I don't know. I mean, I'm not anti-Truvada by any stretch. I think that people should take it if they, if they feel that it's their best option. I think the public discussion around Truvada has been completely idiotic. I don't think I've heard almost anyone say anything intelligent about it, unfortunately, who 
who's gotten sort of major press or who has been like a major activist about it or whatever. I think there are lots of people saying really smart things about it, particularly in trans communities. I think women are saying more intelligent things about it because they're not the ones that have been sort of subjected to brainwashing marketing campaigns by public health and pharmaceutical companies. Right. They're the ones that can sort of look at it a little they more. They have a little bit of distance. From yeah. And, and, and again, like I think it's really a great option for people who are at, who are at high risk without it and who really could, um, benefit from, from taking it. I think it's, I think it's overused. I think it's overprescribed and over, uh, sort of overhyped as a public health measure. But even so, I'm not an expert on that. What I do think is when it comes to that, we need to be, instead of fighting each other, like, because you remember, there's like that flurry of people like fighting each other about Truvada, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's dimmed a little bit, although it's coming back now that this guy who is taking prep got HIV anyway, um, and some of that has sort of risen back up. But instead of fighting each other or just sort of blindly taking it or saying everybody should be on it, we should be turning our suspicions to um, public health, who has really fear-mongered the gay community for years and years and years, never released statistics until 2013 on, like, how likely it is to get HIV from certain sexual acts. Why the fuck did the CDC not tell us that um, until 2013? How unlikely it is that you're going to get HIV from anything at all except someone coming in your butt without a condom who has HIV, you know? Like, why did we not get this information? That's preposterous. Why are there people who still think you're going to get HIV from oral sex? Like, they didn't do that. And, like, public health centers, like, really scared the shit out of us for so long, even when they had this information. And pharmaceutical companies, why do we trust them? Why do we trust a company like Gilead What um, that... Um, Spent, that charges $80,000 for a hep C medication, which costs $700 to manufacture, and people are dying right. who can't have access to this medication. They have a vested and, interest in, yeah. Yes, why, and, why are they controlling the message? Yes, and, and, and we suddenly are just like, great, they're making Truvada, it's amazing. These aren't amazing people. And, and so we can still trust Truvada, we can still trust science, all that. I think that's... I think it's really, again, really great for people to have access to this option. However, if there's no accompanying discussion about we need more from public health and we need more from our pharmaceutical companies and we demand more, then, like, we've really failed at, like, incorporating a, a new pill into our lives in a healthy way, I think. Interesting. Um, when you grew up, what were the messages you were getting about sex from your family? <laughs> How did you learn the facts of life? Did you get a talk? Oh, my gosh. Nobody's ever asked me that before. How funny. Um, uh, no, I never got... Uh, actually, no, I did get a talk. I did get a talk um, a little bit from my father. Um, I, I was just really confused and sort of worked things out on my own, really. Porn was a really big teacher for me, um, which I, I don't... It wasn't sex education for me so much as... Um, sex inspiration, I would say. Like, people are like, well, w porn is really bad for educating people about sex. I don't think it really educates people, but it inspires you to sort of fantasize more, to want more, to be horny, all that kind of stuff. And that taught me. Like, sex itself was, like, my sex education, you know? Did you start early? Having sex early. Yeah. Um, my first sexual encounter, um, r real sexual encounter, was, like, I was, like, t I think 10. Um, this kid... Jeremy and I had a drawing contest, and whoever... It always starts with a drawing contest. Always, <laughs> drawing superheroes. And right. Whoever drew the better superhero um, 
got to have his dick sucked by the other guy for like two seconds. Right. One, so, two Mississippis. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> and I won. And so he put... You're a dick, good drawer. He put my dick... Yes, I was the drawing top. He put my dick in his mouth for like two seconds and just like made this horrible face. And then he was like, come on, now you got to do me. And I was like, no, I, I won. Yeah. And he was like, no, you have to. And I was, I remember sitting on the floor and he pulled his dick out and put it in my face and I turned my head and like grimaced and he hit his dick on my tooth and it just spouted blood everywhere. Oh my God. <laughs> and he like screamed and like ran to the bathroom. It's amazing you ever had sex again. Yeah. Well, now I only have sex where there's blood shooting out of dicks. <laughs> no. So what, I, what was it? Was it your tooth came out? What happened? Oh no, he just hit, he hit his dick on my like canine. So it was his, it's his dick bleeding. It was, it was dick blood. Oh, dick blood. Not too, the, the I thought he knocked the your tooth rarest, out. most delicious, and richest of bloods. <laughs> oh, brother, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. What, did you talk about it later? Was it weird after that? With we you never talked about it after yeah. that. And then, um, and then I had like a best friend who gave me a blowjob when I was thirteen. I had like a neighbor boy, like that kind of stuff. But I was, I was like sexually like charged out of my fucking brain all high school and you know how it is like when you grow up gay at least in our time you can't even talk to anybody about your desires yeah did you feel did you feel shame about it or did you just know like I can't talk to anyone about this but it's not wrong did you feel like oh I felt total shame about it I didn't feel shame about sex I felt complete shame about homosexuality like that was like the worst to me I thought that that was horrible. And weirdly, like, no one in my family ever really gave me that message. And you weren't religious. Right. And they they might have given me that message, but they weren't talking about it a lot, you know? Yeah. But the the people in my school and my community were, I mean, in small town Pennsylvania, were extremely homophobic. So um, that was, you know, and racist. Um, And I'm half Arab. So, I mean, that was, that was all fucked up. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I, I know, it's not that I think my parents were, like, really accepting of gay people or anything like that. They weren't. But it just wasn't a common... Like, they weren't the ones saying, like, faggot or, like, right. pervert. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, Like, they just didn't talk about it. Yeah. Know? A lot of that stuff just never talked about. Yeah. Um, what was it like when you moved to San Francisco? Was that like, <laughs> No, because I... That was... That was long after I... You had already been in yeah, big cities yeah. and come out and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, have you traveled abroad much? Because it seems like other countries have different attitudes about sexuality. I'm some are more probably healthier, quote unquote, than than the U.S. and some are maybe not. But yeah, I'm doing it more now that um, I have a boyfriend who likes to travel a lot. That's awesome. I never really loved traveling, and I'm really starting to like it now. Because yeah. I, it's not. I I just like sinking into one place and getting to know the sort of subtleties yeah. of it more than I like going to new places. I don't. But but now I'm starting to appreciate it more and more. Um, and so. Have I noticed any differences? Um, I mean, there's differences from state to state. There's right. differences. Yeah, I was just in Argentina. There's definitely like a. There's definitely differences there about how open you can be. Um, I mean, I know being half Arab, like in Middle Eastern countries, there's so much like man on man touching, holding, kissing, yeah. even all that. That's not gay, you know. Um, so th- there's all that. Right. Yeah. When you go and talk to a group of people or whatever. There's so much around sexuality. So many, every person has their own issues, their own hangups, their own questions, whatever. Is there a sort of message that you try to leave people with? A sort of, Mm. you know, is there something that kind of encapsulates what you do? Because everyone brings so much of their own stuff to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the line that I use a lot um, 
and that is in something I'm writing right now is if you ever want to know how someone feels about freedom, start talking about sex because sex is the most, in my, in my view, the most individualized thing about anybody. There are 8 billion people on the planet. There are 8 billion different sexualities. This idea that we have three sexualities is the stupidest thing in the world. It's actually everybody's completely individual. It's this nexus of so many different things, where you grew up, how you grew up, who you're, uh, who you might have been attracted to at certain points in your life, like the certain, you know, what your body looks like, where the sensitivities in your body are, the pleasure centers, all that kind of stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on and on and on. And it's interpersonal, so it's person to person. You know, it's not even like looking at a piece of art, which is like, you know, it, which of course we all have different uh, responses to, but when it's two people, then it's like, two infinite individualized possibilities like meeting with each other. And so I think that's it. It's like, that's one of my main messages is it's so individual that for us to judge someone else's sexuality based on our own is completely preposterous. And if you really want to care about other people, you embrace their sexuality no matter what it is. You let them be who they are. You let what turns them on, turn them on. And you understand that Okay, not, that doesn't mean I think every sexual act is healthy. However, what looks healthy, what, what is damaging for one person might be healthy for another person, and they might be the same exact act. They might look like the same exact thing, but for one person it's healthy and another person it's unhealthy. And so you can't judge by the act. You can't judge by um, any of that. It's, you can only talk about it at an individual level. What do you think about dating apps, hookup app, apps? <laughs> um... Because you 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 started working in this field or thinking yeah. about these things, writing about these things before they sort of yeah. came onto the scene. I think I think they're best used as pornography as personalized pornography more than because I mean if you think about the majority of time we spend on them, it's looking, it's 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 being a voyeur and an exhibitionist at the same time. Right. So it's like and you individualize that like I want to see this person's pics, I want to see this person's pics. The the that's the majority of the time. It's not like the narrative they sell you, which is you go on, you meet the per- you like talk to the person, then you meet in person, then maybe you fall in love or you just fuck or whatever. But it's actually, you spend a long time, a lot of times you have your dick in one hand and like that phone in the other. And you're like looking through at people's pictures and showing them your pictures and getting turned on and worked up. I think that's a better way to look at them. Um, just from a realistic standpoint. Right. Yeah. And as opposed to this is your, your ticket to meet, somebody great or yeah although that happens sometimes happen, too yeah. i met my boyfriend through one so there you go yeah but but we should but that's not the majority of the time we spend on yeah them. so let's like the pie chart of that is like you know yeah i got you yeah i'm not a huge fan of the dick pic you're not no i don't know why maybe i'm old-fashioned are you just a top no i just uh. don't i i, I sort of <laughs> i feel like it's like opening the present on i i you know uh. what i mean like it's sort of like i don't yeah. know it's sort of yeah, I don't. I, don't I think, think it's like I don't know. I, I'm a little. I like to meet somebody and get a feel for them, and like I don't need to have pictures of them naked from every angle to decide if I want to. I'm like the exact opposite. I'm always like I, I liked you better when you were a dick pic because it's like, <laughs> that could be a title of this podcast. Yeah, too. Um, but well, because it's uh, I I appreciate your I appreciate that too. Like you want you want that thing to be revealed, but imagine then like things are great and the person pulls his dick out and it's either ugly or it's too big for you or, you know, it's just not like, that's a part of a person. So I don't mind 
it's just like talking to somebody. I don't mind like having that. That doesn't seem substantially different than any other part of them that I might be attracted to or not. You right, know? I hear you. Yeah. Does your and by the way, please feel free to send me your dick pics. Send me Un- dick pics unsolicited after this. I don't need. This is a broad consent to receive your dick pics. Right, 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 <laughs> right out the gate. Yes. Some people open with a dick pic. Exactly. Um, <laughs> do you? Does having been in the business affect your enjoyment of pornography now? Yeah, c- mainly because I know everybody. Right. And I know everybody in straight porn now because I do all this sex worker activism with the Adult Performer Advocacy Committee, which is I'm the vice president. So we like help porn performers with safety, wages, quality of life. We talk to legislators about porn, all that kind of stuff. So now I know all straight porn, a lot of straight porn stars too, and. Um, I hear they have a great karaoke night. Yeah. Have you been? <laughs> no. I hear they do. Straight porn karaoke? Yeah, straight porn karaoke. It's like oh. in the valley, like on Tuesday nights. Oh, well, I was not invited, so... <laughs> Ask I them. Mean, you know that... Maybe uh, that's old, I don't know. <laughs> well, it, I mean, the, so, yeah, it's a little harder for me, but, I mean, there are still, of course, guys that I'm really attracted to and that I can... And that I... Even that I know and that I can watch porn, uh, but it, it's limited it a little bit. What do you think of the amateur stuff? The X-Tube, the stuff like that. There are people that have built up a whole sort of... Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's I, like their hobby. I think it's awesome, but I... It's, it's not it's not that huge of a turn-on for me. Like, if I'm on Scruff or Grinder and I'm talking to someone, they send me a video or they text... That I like, because I'm right. interacting, but for me, um, I really just like... Ima- like, I jerk off using my imagination a lot, so if it's... If it's not going to be just, like, porn, I'll usually just imagine things rather than watching amateur porn. Because it's too, like, um... You get hung up on the decor. <laughs> well, not... There's this one dude that I've seen a few of his videos, and, like, he's kind of aggressive or whatever. And then there's, like, a Patty Lapone Gypsy poster in the background. <laughs> and it just always cracks me up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that could work for some people, but not everybody. <laughs> the right. Patty Lapone, yeah. What's your favorite compliment or comment that you've gotten from somebody that's either seen you speak Mm. or seen your work or read something that you wrote well i always say if you really cared about me you would love me for my body um so it's always like the the sort of flip side because what right you're not you don't definitely need somebody to take you seriously yeah i mean i do like that of course but what i get a lot what that's in response to is not that i don't want them to love my writing or, or, or people to feel mean, like get some meaning from like a talk I gave or something. But often people couch their compliments in that. Like they're like, uh, I've never seen any of your movies, but blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, you know, first of all, if that's true, you don't have to say it. Second of all, it's probably not true. Right. But, but if it is true, why would you tell me that? Like, oh, I just ignored this entire part of your work, but I know this. It's right. like expressing this anxiety, like somehow there's su- it's superior to like me for the things I do. And for me, for, for the writing... It's like for, talks, a lot of times actors will tell me, like, people always love to tell them, oh, I don't watch television. Yes. Like, they're too good. No, it's like, exactly like, that. you know, sitcom stars will say, people are always coming up to say, oh, I, I don't know, I don't watch television. Yeah, what like is they're, that? Yeah, I don't what know. Is, what is that? Some kind of elitism, something like that? I think it's just, I think it's meant to amplify the compliment. It's like when someone says, like, oh, I hate everybody, but I love spending time with you. Yeah. It's like, was well, that supposed to flatter me? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. That it's actually weird. makes me feel bad about myself, yeah, yeah, because, yeah. like, that, that, that you're such a hateful person and you like hanging out with me. I think it's meant to amplify the compliment. What it does is it sort of dampens it down. I mean, 
if you genuinely have something to say about the fact that you haven't seen any of my movies, like, I haven't seen any, but I'm really excited to watch some. Like, right. That that's something different. Or if you like are afraid to watch porn, or you have a reason why you don't watch. Or you, like, it's like you want to open up a dialogue about it. Yeah. but it's like it's them trying to. I, I never watch TV. Yeah. yeah, I don't watch TV. I don't watch movies or really listen to music, but yeah. I love that soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what's your what movie are you proudest of? Oh, um, there's a movie called After the Heist, which is like a bank robbing or like a sort of robbery porn that I right did on. three scenes in. I have a mustache in the whole movie and Joe Gage directed that one. So right on. After one. the heist. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. All right. You, we, I presented the observation deck to Connor before we started and he said, you know what? You pick. So I'm going to throw it. So these. I'm not responsible okay. for these. Where's the coolest place you've gotten to go for work? The coolest place I've gotten to go for work. Oh my gosh. Um, see, this is the problem with you asking me random. I thought about this afterward and I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to get frozen if you ask me these questions. But, um, the coolest place I've gotten to go for work. Fuck. Or is there any weird, have you ever shot on location in some kind of crazy mansion? I I did, I did shoot on, (laughs) did come down to LA to shoot on a rooftop once and it, that in itself was like it was kind of cool because you could see the whole city it was right. like the rooftop of a like a, a skyscraper right but then what happened was that this police helicopter kept circling us and because it's like the George Michael video for outside is, is that, was, is that yeah, it was the video he yeah yeah, well, right, and we reenacted a lot of George Michael and sure. the movie. But but it was like that we had to keep running inside. So that's not exactly so cool. You kept running. But I felt like a rebel. Yeah, because we had to keep running inside because like they could have raided us for not having a permit or right. something like that. Um, but yeah, that was fun. That's a good one. Yeah. All right, where's the weirdest place you've ever seen your own image? Oh. Um, cards. That's the weird one. Like, like greeting cards? Yeah, like, you know, you can go in, like, Spencer's Gifts sure. or whatever, and there's, like, a, there's a picture of me, like, holding my dick by, like, a truck tire, which is really weird, and it's, like, want to go for a ride, and, like, my, I've had, like, people send me pictures of the card, but I never saw it in person, and finally someone sent me a bunch comp, of them, yeah. but I love the idea of being the Spencer's Gifts, like, dirty, like... Yeah, you know, edgy edgy gift store that like someone goes into the back and they're like, oh, "Who's it?" That that's exciting to me. I love like a greeting card thing. Yeah, that reminds me of a crazy story. Um, in the '90s, I was really friendly with Margaret Cho, uh-huh. um, and we were both fans of Joey Stevano, mm-hmm. porn star mm-hmm. extraordinaire. And I remember hand making a card for her with him on it, and then on the back. I don't remember. I named the card company some phony name, but the tagline was "When you care enough to eat your own cum," uh-huh. <laughs> because that was like his thing, right? He did. He yeah. Did. Anyway, that's off. the greeting card thing. But so you, but and you did care that much. I, you, he cared. Yeah. He was, his, his, he was in it. Um, I, you can sometimes tell when people are in it and when they're sort of not in it. Hundred percent. Right. Yes. Um, but you, oh, my train of thought just left me. Oh, but the card when you. You sign away your image when you're in that movie, or yeah. right? Or did you know you were going to be on a card? No clue. Yeah, and you don't get a nickel. It's over and done. It, you don't. You don't get anything, and they can use your image until I mean, long after yeah. your death. I mean, there are the there are porn stars who are dead, and like you can still buy their dead dildo dick. Cast right, exactly. There you go. Necrophilia. Uh, <laughs> if you could be the opposite sex for a day, what would you want to experience? Oh. 
Okay, well, let me first let me first be like really like social justice asshole and be like I don't believe in the opposite sex, right? Because I don't. But if, if I you were, could believe, if I were a cisgendered woman, yes. I would. Um, so excuse me, Dennis. Cisgender, Hensley. I know. Um, I was like, oh god, check I, your check your privilege oh, observation deck. I know. Um, but if I but if, <laughs> if, if I were if I were a cisgendered woman, uh, what would I want to experience? Oh, I would definitely want to be. <laughs> Basically, it wouldn't be that much of a change. I would just want to be a porn star so I could get fucked by the straight porn guys. Because <laughs> there's something about the eagerness of like straight guys like having sex <laughs> that is somehow lost in like the gay world because it's more available to like have casual sex. So when straight guys have sex, I feel like it's like they're just like waiting for. I can't believe this is happening. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so like I would want to maybe maybe not a porn star, but like I would definitely be a slut, like hundred okay. <laughs> percent. I love that answer. So okay. no change. If, so no change there. If there was a doll of you that talked, what would it say when you pulled the string? Oh my god, probably really confuse everybody and um, be Teddy and like say Teddy Ruxpin shit, you know, just to like confuse the fuck out of you. Know what I'm talking about? That's that other doll. Teddy doll. Teddy Ruxpin was the bear that the, you like put the cassette in. Yeah, you know, and people would take there's a there's a female one called Cricket. Uh, and she, her jaw moved. It was really creepy. She had blonde hair, total Aryan, and her jaw moved. And you put cassettes in, and people put, like, death metal cassettes in her, like, And thing. make her talk crazy. Yes, yes. Shit. And so I would love to be a talking, like, just look like me, but when you, like, played it in, it was like, I'm Teddy Ruxpin. It would really scare people. Just to be, for, just to mess with people. Yeah, exactly. Let me look at my notes and see if there's anything That's my way of going a- on. admitting that I'm a bear now. Yeah. There you go. You're in the bear thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're more of the, uh, the, um, the, um... <laughs> Otter. Yeah, I, I, I think. think I was an otter. I think now maybe I'm more like a muskrat. Uh, sure. But without the tail. I wrote the word Oprah down, and I couldn't remember why, but then I remembered Which why. Which Oprah? Oprah. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I was, like, determined to not be weirdly coy about asking questions about sex. Oh, Because uh-huh. you know how Americans can be really, like, tee-hee-hee oh, or weird? That must drive totally. you crazy, right? And, like, Oprah used to always do this thing where whenever she was talking about... Uh, provocative issue having to do a lot of times having to do with gays or sex she would mispronounce words and i think it was her way of telling middle america i don't know about this stuff she'd be like so tell me more about this barebacking oh no (laughs) and she was like like jenna saying broadway (laughs) yes but i think it was a way of her saying i don't know anything about this stuff she would i remember the episode about the down low she would be like so you're on the down low. Uh, She'd always hit the wrong accents. Totally. So I didn't want to be that way. No, I, you've you've avoided in every way I can think of possible being like Oprah. Go, thank yeah. you. I've done my best. <laughs> I'm starving though. I'm going to eat my own hand. Um, what would your ideal uh, job, sort of uh, creative thing? What would what's your vision for what you'd like your your sort of work mm. on camera, off camera, in your writing? Like, do you want to just kind of keep what you're doing and keep building on it? No, I mean, the the sort of big thing that I would love to do with my life, and this is really, like, sort of the big dream, is uh, starting a school. Um, and so, I mean, I do a lot of teaching. I teach writing online. I give lectures. I used to teach English at universities. I, you know, write stuff about sex. But really, like, my, my real sort of... Uh, Pre- like the present I like try to put forward the most um, for other people, but uh, for myself as a challenge is to be 
someone who's interested in all sorts of things and it doesn't matter that those are seemingly contradictory or that you're only supposed to pick one or whatever. And so really like I want to be able to present that to other people as an option. Like what does it mean to be an interdisciplinary person where sex is not contradictory with spirituality, is not contradictory with science, is not contradictory with the humanities, all that kind of stuff. Because that's how I've tried to live my life. I think most people are interested in all sorts of... Uh, so I'm intellectually slutty as well. And they, there you <laughs> go. So I think people are interested in all sorts of things, but we cut off our options because we think they don't go together. And I think that that causes people a lot of pain, but it also makes us dumber, you know? I mean, We're not as, as curious or as well-versed in things as we yeah. sort of buy into a, a slot. Yeah, and, and, and we don't have any ability to reveal to ourselves or make transparent these, like, layers to ourselves. Like, how is my spirituality related to my psychology? How is my psychology related to the kind of art I like? How is the art I like related to my worldview when it comes to politics? Like, we don't have any... Because we've never done any work, like, doing that connective tissue. And I'm constantly um, still doing that work myself all the time. It's not like I'm some sort of genius about it. That's something that you constantly have to be undoing and working on. And so I want to start a school that's truly interdisciplinary and helps people sort of bridge these contradictory parts of their personalities, anatomies. There you go. Yeah. I support it. That's, that's a nice little storefront, like school, like a nice building. Just a little red school. A little house. red schoolhouse yeah. for that stuff. <laughs> I like it. For the Connor Habib School of Life. Exactly. I support that. Now, that's not your name, because I know Jeb always calls you another name. Andre. Yeah. Andre. How did you come up with Connor? So, um, Connor Habib. Is Habib your last name? No. Okay. My, my birth name is Andre Khalil. Um, my my point name came from um, going to Ireland when I was 15, seeing two guys sort of dry hump in a pub, and one of them going, oh, Connor, 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 and I was, like, not in, I was totally not out, you know, I was with my family, and, like, sparks are just flying That's out of my That's the most neck. amazing story. And then Habib is beloved one in Arabic, and I'm half Irish and half Syrian, so I just put those two things together. When it came time, because I know sometimes, especially in porn, it's like, oh, what's your name? And they're like, uh, Dex Box. Like, yeah. did you put a lot <laughs> yeah. of thought into Fart it? Box, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> table, uh, cup. Shart Tali. Yeah. Yeah. Did you put a lot of thought into it, or was it kind of something you came up with at the time? I was on a date with a guy, um, and I was trying to figure it out, and I was like, I really wanted to be Connor. It was either Brad or Connor, but, like, Brad didn't sound Irish, and so I wanted to represent my ethnicity. Um, So, Connor, and then he was like, well, what's, like, an Arabic word? And I was like, well, Habibi is, like, beloved one or sweet Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my Jordanian friend always opens his texts with... Hey, Habib. Yeah, yeah. So, so, sweet. so Habib is the root of that. Yeah. So, yeah. I love it. All yeah. right. It makes perfect sense. How can people learn more about what you do? Um, just <laughs> go on my Twitter. It's the only social media I have, and it's at Connor Habib, C-O-N-N-E-R-H-A-B-I-B. And that has a link to my website, which is ConnorHabib.com, which right now reroutes to my blog. I'm going to bring those two things together, but it's a really easy, just like one click. Reroute. But there's lots of interesting writing on your blog, lots yeah. of cool work that you're doing and things that you think about and about all kinds of different subjects. Yeah, and there's always like a lecture or I'll be teaching an online class or 
and I teach writing if you want a writing coach or if you want me to come to you. And you're school. a great writer. Thank you're you. You're a fantastic writer. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I love that. What, uh, if you were going to do a TED Talk, what would it be? Oh my God. You've got 15 minutes. It's, it's so funny you ask me that because I live in fear of being asked to do a TED Talk. Okay, then I, never mind. You I hate know. TED Talks. So, I, but, but like you would have to do it if you were asked. Right. It's such a great platform, right? <laughs> it is, but they don't pay you. Do you know that? They don't pay you? They don't pay TED Talks. I'm so sick of the world. I it's can't. World. Nobody's going to to do anything. They charge attendees up to $16,000 to go to the talks. So the complete, the whole thing is completely bonkers. And when you go there, you're not allowed to leave the site. So you have to take up to, it's about a week out of your time to give a talk for free. Um, limit yourself to like, uh, what, like 15 minutes at yeah. the most um, while you're being viewed by rich people. So it's like you're basically being asked to perform for rich people. That's and so it, It's crazy. completely crazy, which is why some people have like walked out, why people have refused to do it, all that kind of stuff. But I don't know how If you're going to do the untied talk, 15 minutes on a platform that you knew would reach a lot of people. That sort of really was like your brand. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I don't have a brand because <laughs> it's too all over the place. But I would, I would probably say something like, um, I would probably I talk about those things I was talking about before, like how um, how to live in contradictions, my life in contradictions. That's what I would talk about. Right, and yeah. don't don't kill yourself if you feel like parts of your life or things that you're passionate about don't jive perfectly. Exactly, because know that they resolve themselves in you. I mean, they're all in you, so they find a meeting place and they're not contradictory at all. That's a beautiful thing. Let's leave it there. All right. Thank you so much for this wonderful podcast. Thank I love talking to you. Yeah, thanks for talking okay. to me, Dennis. Bye! Thanks again to Connor Habib, and uh, check him out at ConnorHabib.com. Lots of great writing and interesting stuff there. Um, so this happened on Saturday night. My friend Glenn and I went to this event at the Ricardo Montalban Theater in Hollywood. It was um, a staged reading of a blacklist script. It was put on by the blacklist who sort of champion the hottest sort of scripts that haven't been produced. Um, anyway, it was called Reagan and it was about President Reagan. But the premise is it's his second term. He's starting to have dementia and this sort of lowly aide finds himself tricking President Reagan into believing that he's on a movie set. And so he sort of guides him through his presidency by convincing him that he's playing a part in a movie. Um, so it was it was fun. It was an all-star cast. John Cho, Chris Parnell, uh, James Brolin as Reagan. Lena Dunham was supposed to be Peggy Noonan, but she had a medical emergency. And it ended up being this other really funny actress whose name I forget. Um... But there was a guy from Happy Endings, the one with the V-necks on that show. I can't remember his name. Um, but John Michael Higgins. But anyway, it was a really kind of fun night. It was a script that I enjoyed. I hope they get to make it somehow, some way. But it was fun to see an, an evening that sort of championed writing. It was really about writers. And all these people were there to read this guy's script. It was really cool. I felt really happy for him. Um, and then the next day, Nancy Reagan died. So... I think I killed Reagan, Nancy Reagan, maybe by going, or or the blacklist killed Reagan, Nancy Reagan by by having the event, or I think Lena Dunham probably killed Nancy Reagan by not being able to go. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let it I'm gonna let Lena kind of take the blame for that. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Dennis. Anyone? Bye. Bye.